1: Somewhere in the world out there right now, I guarantee you, somebody is thinking about inventing a new musical instrument. And you might ask yourself, why? There's lots of musical instruments already. Go to a symphony orchestra concert. You'll see what I mean. And yet, and yet, there are people out there who think, no, I could put some materials together and make a completely new sound and something that had a different kind of playing action to it. And that's been going on for centuries and we're going to talk about that today and we're going to talk to some of the people who do have these creative stirrings who feel as though their life is not going to be complete unless they invent the next popular musical instrument. Okay, uh, what you're hearing right there is Debussy, obviously, but you're hearing it played uh, by a theremin. A theremin was an instrument, is an instrument, invented about a hundred years ago. Um, for if you were a person of my generation, if you were, let's say, eleven years old in 1966 when the song "Good Vibrations" came out, and you suddenly heard this that kind of. You know, I didn't do a very good theremin impersonation. But anyway, if you heard that, it was really quite startling. Even though the theremin had been around a really long time, the average person hadn't heard one. Uh, the theremin had, in fact, achieved some currency within kind of the symphonic repertoire so that there were pieces like that could be performed, that were written to be performed with the theremin. Uh, or you could display anything on it like this. So, and that's the, our focus today is... Who invents new musical instruments? Who wakes up uh, one morning and decides, you know what? There needs to be one more musical instrument besides what there is right now. And that goes on all the time. So uh, we're going to introduce you to some inventors today, uh, and we're going to listen to some of their inventions. But we're going to kind of begin with the overall theory of all this. Uh, Joining us right now is Jason Freeman, professor of music at Georgia Tech and chair of the School of Music. He leads the Gutman Musical Instrument Competition. That is a competition, uh, an annual competition to invent New Musical Instruments. Also with his Kyle Grimm, a composer who specializes in both acoustic and electronic mediums, writing for the concert hall, dance, film and video games, and is also a professor of music at the University of Hartford. So, Jason, I guess my question is, you know, since you now have met uh, and seeing the work of so many of these uh, people who invent new musical instruments i i don't know is there is there a through line is there a thread that runs through them i'm just kind of wondering what kind of person wakes up in the morning and says you know what i got to invent a new musical instrument today
0: yeah, there, there, there certainly is not just one through line, but I think there's, there's many different motivations that drive people to make new instruments. Uh, we've been running the Guthman Musical Instrument Competition here at Georgia Tech for about a dozen years now. So we've met about 500 instrument creators over that time. And um, some of them are really searching for new sounds, sounds that are unlike anything that we've ever heard before. Um, kind of like uh, what you were just saying about the theremin. Uh, some people are thinking about new ways to perform music, ways to um, make uh, music performance more accessible to people that maybe didn't study a musical instrument for a long time and are just starting to learn how to make music, um, or maybe to people who have disabilities who might not be able to perform certain traditional instruments uh, uh, because of that. And other people are thinking about ways to make music making easier or better aligned to different kinds of musical aesthetics and concepts that they have. So the structure of the music that comes out of these instruments, um, or the ways that uh, musicians and composers engage with them are, are fundamentally different from what we think of in, in terms of traditional musical instruments.
1: Right, so Kyle, we're going to spend a little part of this segment just kind of talking about the history of this, uh, because you know a lot of things that we take for granted today had to be invented at some point. So I, I want to begin 200 years ago. Um, Where there's a kid, he's growing up in what is now Belgium, and he spends most of his childhood trying to get himself killed. Uh, I just have to share this with you. Uh, He once fell from, as a child, he fell from a height of three floors, hit his head on a stone, and was believed dead. At the age of three, he drank a bowl of acidic water, mistaking it for milk. Later, he swallowed a pin. He received serious burns from a gunpowder explosion. Uh, Once fell into a hot cast iron frying pan, burning his side. Uh, Several times, he avoided accidental poisoning and asphyxiation from sleeping in a room where varnished furniture was drying. Uh, And he was also struck uh, in the head by a cobblestone and fell into the river, almost dying. The neighbors called him Little Sax, the ghost. But I just gave away, Kyle, the punchline, which is that this is... Who, a person who became, came to be called Adolf Sachs, who gave us guess what? So, so say a little bit more about this. I mean, this this is a music, a piece of a musical instrument we we take for granted right now, but it had to be invented.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I actually didn't know about all of the near death experiences of Adolf Sachs, so that was very interesting to hear. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was invented in like the 1840s, around patented in 1846. It really seemed like the the saxophone was. Uh, more of a solution to a problem rather than trying to invent a new sound. So it was like when you have an orchestra and you have a whole bunch of families of instruments together, it's like you have the woodwinds and the brass and then the strings, but woodwinds are just inherently quieter than brass instruments, which can overpower everybody else in the instru- in the uh, orchestra. And so it seemed like Adolf Sachs was really trying to figure out to get a woodwind sound, but to be able to compete volume-wise with brass instruments, which is why we kind of have this single reeded, uh instrument with a brass body and it. it, it's sign kind of it doesn't sound completely woodwind or completely brass it really is sort of the bridge of the orchestra between those two families of instruments but there's you know a lot of different types and they're all related to each other in in, in different ways different registers and all that sort of
1: stuff. right to that point, uh, or another way of talking about this um, is that uh, this is from the novel Geronimo Rex by Barry Hanna. Uh, the narrator is a guy who's going to become a trumpet player. But uh, he, he says, I was thinking about Adolf Sax, the inventor of the saxophone, listening to Sonny Stitt on the phonograph. And then I heard David Newman, the sax player in Ray Charles's band. What a thing to have invented, finally, the horn that actually talks, I shouted. And and so, Kyle, to your point, I mean, the saxophone is technically a woodwind, not a horn, but it kind of does that thing, right? You can kind of, you can really, well, to use Bruce Springsteen's uh, expression and Barry Hannah's, you can make it talk.
3: Yeah, and it has such a wide range of tonal characteristics because, you know, if you listen to a jazz saxophonist, they sound much different than a classical saxophonist um, because they focus on very different technique-wise, so they can get very different sounds out of that same instrument, which is really interesting.
1: Um, you know, Sax also, as I was kind of researching him today, he grew up, his parents built musical instruments, just canonical musical instruments, and he actually invented several other things, including a, a valved bugle, and I guess he, he sort of just kind of had this in his blood. All right, well, we're doing mm-hmm. kind of a cook, cook's tour through some of, some of the inventions, and we really do want to also talk uh, um, about the Ond Martineau. Uh, and this is about 100 years later. Uh, I think it may have been invented in the same year as the theremin, which is weird. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. So, explain a little bit about about the onde owned Martin. Onde means waves, by the way, and there's a reason why it would be called that. But, but, uh, Kyle, just give us a, a quick description.
3: Yeah, for sure. So, it was invented in 1928, which was the same year that Theremin was patented, in. so they came together, like they came to being around the same time, which is really interesting. But it was invented by Maurice Martineau, um, who was a radio operator in World War One, And so he heard all these radio frequencies, and then he thought, how can I make this a musical instrument and make it as expressive as the cello? So there's like two main ways of playing the, the on Martineau. There's the keyboard, which functions like a normal keyboard or synthesizer, but it also gives you the ability to add vibrato by shaking the keys uh, left and right. And then there's the uh, the ribbon which is used to play it as well, which is probably the most signature sound for the for the own Martin No. And it ends up sounding a lot like a theremin because you can play any pitch that you desire by wearing a ring around your finger and then you slide a ribbon up and down uh, like you would if you're going up and down a keyboard and it produces any of the pitches. Uh, the really interesting thing about the, the own Martin No. is that the volume is controlled with the left hand by pressing down a button. So the harder you press, the louder it is. But there's also three speakers that are part of the actual instrument itself that also are adding to the sound. So there's a speaker that is a normal speaker that we would uh, expect. There's one that has springs built in that add a sort of spring reverb to the sound. And then there's one that has a, like uh, a gong almost. It's a big metal object where the sound goes through that and it adds this very metallic sound to it. So uh, very interesting. And then the performer has the ability to kind of mix and match all of those different sounds together to to create a more complex timbre to it.
1: Right, so just to give you sort of a sense of how it sounds, and it does at times sound like the theremin, but as Kyle was just suggesting, I mean, it can has a lot more voicings, a lot more things that it can do. But here is Marcel um, Martineau himself, the inventor uh, of this musical instrument, playing it. So Jason, one of the things that uh, occurs to me is that, uh, and now that I'm sure has occurred to you many times, 500 musical instruments into this process of looking at new inventions is it's not just a question of inventing some cool new uh, instrument. If it's going to survive, there has to be this ecosystem, right? There has to be somebody who's making enough of them, lots of them, a manufacturing process of some kind. There's going to be somebody who teaches the instrument. There are going to be students who want to learn it. There are going to be composers who want to Right for it. Uh, there's going to have to be people who will fix it when it breaks, um, and probably, uh, ideally, particularly in the era of YouTube, you probably want to have a group of amateurs too who want to, like, you know, show off how to how they can play this instrument uh, on YouTubes, uh, on the YouTubes. <laughs> that sounds good, Colin. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, maybe you can comment on that, Jason, a little bit. The, the idea that you you ultimately need a pit crew for your your newborn baby instrument.
0: Yeah, I think I I think you, you highlighted a lot of the, the parts of the ecosystem here, but but I think there's another kind of nuance to this, which is that it, what it means to make a new musical instrument today is not always the same as what it meant for Adolf Sachs. Um, you know, trying to get something that composers would write for that would you know that would make its way into this kind of mainstream and, and, and perpetuate. Um and many of the instrument makers that that, that we meet. Are really not trying to become entrepreneurs and you know get this thing out into the world forever. They're artists and musicians who are trying to solve an artistic problem for themselves, and and that instrument might be an N of one. Uh, you know, there's only one of them that exists in the world, um, or maybe there's a handful, and there's a few friends of theirs or, or some 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 artists that um, that they share it with. Um, but that is often um, you know th- th- this mass market. Uh, distribution is 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 a goal certainly of, of, of many of the people that we meet, but not all of them. Um, you know, uh, and, and some of that has to do with how much easier it is to make a musical instrument today than perhaps it was even twenty years ago. Um, you know, we have uh, such ready access to sensor technology. Um, whether it's something that exists on our phone and we're writing a software application that becomes a musical instrument, or um, we're buying some embedded electronics kits, the kind of things that, that kids use in school these days, and putting those things together um, to build something ourselves, um, learning how to do that, um, buying the tools that you need to do that is something that, that you know, just about anyone can do now and pick up. Um, maybe not at the same level as the Old mark to know or something like that, but but to do something that's really customized to you. And so, um, I think we need to look at this ecosystem not just from what's necessary to make an instrument successful on the level of the saxophone, but um but on what's necessary to make it successful in the way that its inventor is kind of envisioning it uh, living in the world.
1: Right. So Kyle, in a sense, the ecosystem that I described, began to fail the on Martineau at a certain point. Um, initially, Miss Anne famously was writing pieces uh, for it, uh, and, and others followed suit, although there was kind of a controversial symphony that not everybody liked, and, and composers like Boulez turned against it um, after having played it for a while. But ultimately, as I understand it, they started not to maybe have people making new ones or being able to repair the old ones as they broke or teachers who knew how to teach it. Uh, there was a sense in which this, this very interesting creature was maybe an endangered species.
3: Yeah. Um, as I know it, they're fragile and expensive to fix, which is not a great combination when you want to keep making <laughs> musical instruments. So uh, there's not too many of them, but there are people who specialize it and, you know, kind of devote their time to playing them and and keeping them alive i think there's even uh the guitarist for radiohead i've seen like has tried to kind of keep keep the the own martineau uh, at least known to the world and he uses one that's like been very uh, modernized, that it is similar, but it's much more durable and cheaper to make. So, right.
1: His name is Johnny Greenwood, and I mean, he is being credited with maybe saving this thing from extinction. He, he loves it. He he said in interviews too. It's kind of interesting. You, thinking back once again to Sax and the horn that talks. He says that he can't sing. He's not a singer, uh, but he's always wanted to play something that sings. That he really feels he can make this instrument sing. And and because he's composing a lot for films these days, and one of the ways the, the things like the theremin and the martin Martineau get used because of their eerie, vibrating sound uh, is in a film true. soundtrack. I feel like you know Johnny Greenwood is going to probably do uh, a lot to keep this thing going. But we should quickly say something about the theremin. We could do an entire show about the theremin. And, and, and Kyle, in a way, one of the weird things about this is, these. They, although they occasionally sound similar, they couldn't look more different, right? The martin the Martineau is this big thing that's got all this as you say speakers and i think there was this kind of kind of a drawer that almost comes out there was one thing that mm-hmm. i think when martineau was inventing it had like gunpowder in it or something <laughs> Yeah, uh, i heard i read about that too
3: a powder yeah. that was yeah, yeah. volatile.
1: so it's this, it's this big thing and then there's the theremin which is an instrument that you play without touching it uh, and it's incredibly spare looking maybe you can just sort of give people a sense of what it is
3: yeah, it's really, it is really interesting because it's, uh, like you said, it's an instrument that you play without touching it. So uh, there's one sort of pole that controls the pitch of it and then one that controls the volume. And it's usually pitch with the right hand and volume with the left hand. So that's also an interesting parallel between the own martineau and the theremin that you control volume with your left hand and pitch with your right hand. Um, but it's, it's really interesting because uh, it generates current. And so the way that you control the pitch and the volume is by how close your hand is to these poles. And you actually become part of the instrument because you're contributing to how fast this current inside of the instrument is vibrating. So it's, it's this, I don't know, this very philosophical thing that you become part of the instrument, like it can't exist without you, which is the case for many instruments. But I feel like even more so in this case that you're helping generate the current by just being there.
1: Right. So oh, this is also the product, similar to the an Unmar- No, a product of kind of military experience. Uh, yeah. Its inventor, uh, the Russian uh, Leon Theremin. It's how, actually, his name is a little bit different in Russian, but he came to be known as Leon Theremin, Theremin or Theremin, perhaps. Uh, and um, he was working in a Soviet government-sponsored research lab looking into something called proximity sensors. Uh, and, and the rest is history, except that, like, you know, at one point he disappeared. It was like they they think maybe the Soviets grabbed... He came to America and then he disappeared for 30 years. Uh, there's a rumor that the NKVD grabbed him and brought him back and made him do some other stuff. Um, but the other thing, once again, with the theremin, one thing you need is the performer too. You need your uh, your Johnny Greenwood. In this case, for a while, it was a woman named Clara Rockmore, uh, who was a thereminist who toured to wide acclaim and performed on the same bill with Paul Robeson, uh, and and sort of kept the theremin going. And then the rest of us heard it when the the Beach Boys did it. But um, so that this raises the question, though, uh, for you, Jason, what? Are there qualities that make a good uh, musical instrument, a good invention? Do they do they share qualities?
0: Yeah, so we, we often look at it from a kind of a classic design perspective of looking at something that has a low floor and a high ceiling. Um, so the theremin is a great example here. You um, walk up to a theremin, you've got the two antennas there. Anyone can walk up to this thing and immediately start making sounds and have a really uh, engaging experience the same way that you can walk up to a piano. And even if you've never touched a piano before, you can start playing a few notes and you can hear sound and kind of this this kind of action-reaction relationship. So it pulls you in um, and gets you engaged right away. Um, but then uh, it rewards continued practice and development over time. So the theremin is an extremely difficult instrument to play. You, you don't get that tactile feedback that you get with a lot of other instruments, it's continuous pitch. And so to, to control it, even to play like a, a C major scale is quite challenging, let alone the Debussy that, that we heard uh, Clara Rockmore playing before. And so, um, you know, that's where the performance practice and the pedagogy and, and all of that kind of starts to fit into play um, that, you know, that there, there's a difference between someone that's walked up to this instrument and is trying it for the first time versus someone that has been practicing for decades. Um, they can both have an engaging experience. Um, they can both make music with it. But the the level and sophistication of that music is going to be very different based on you know, the amount of effort and and, and learning that's gone in. Uh, on those, those two ends of the
1: continuum. Well, and Jason, I also feel like the theremin is an interesting example, too, because at a certain point, it kind of became open source, right? There's a, there's ways in which you can just sort of make your own theremin, get easy instructions. And there are, there are also, it seems like there are sort of maybe kind of crap theremin's out there that cost like $200 <laughs> or something.
0: Um, I mean, there's a way in which the on-ramp isn't too steep. Yeah, the on-ramp to actually making one is not too steep, um, and yeah, you know, and actually, um, Bob Moog, you know, uh, one of the pioneers of the, the the synthesizer industry, got his start making theremins um, before he started making analog synthesizers in the sixties and seventies. Um, so there's all kinds of connections between the theremin and, and, and the the kind of musical instrument industry at uh, large. But um, yeah, the the, the 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 functionality of it is not that complicated, and you can go online and you can buy a theremin today. Or you can, um, you know, you can make one uh, yourself uh, pretty easily. Um, so that, that, that technology is readily available. Um, the same way we we're talking about before, that, that, you know, all these tools to make all kinds of musical instruments are uh, much easier to find and kind of much easier to, to, to learn how to, 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 uh, to use than they were uh, in the past. All right.
1: Let me tell everybody what's going to happen now. Uh, Jason and Kyle are going to take a break. Uh, We're going to take a break, too. But when we come back, uh, you're going to meet two of these inventors, two of these people who uh, invent new musical instruments. Then Jason and Kyle are going to come back at the end. We're going to listen to a lot of the uh, kinds of instruments that are in this competition that you heard about. Uh, But we will go out right here, I believe, with a little bit more there. Yeah, I hear a little theremin happening right here. And we are back. We're talking to the inventors uh, of uh, new musical instruments. So joining us now is uh, Keith Groover, who is the inventor of The Glide, as well as a musician and music educator. And Bosco Conte, uh, a musical producer, uh, inventor, tech founder, best known for his talk box performances on Grammy-winning albums by Kanye West and Dua Lipa. Uh, Bosco is also the creator of the Black Music Entrepreneurship Incubator. Which is a very difficult thing to say, uh, but uh, he is here in particular today to talk about the electro spit, uh, and yes, Keith is here to talk about the glide. So, um, Bosco, let's start with you. Um, let's. Uh, well, actually, you have the electro spit right there, and you were messing about with it before <laughs> we went on the air. So, do you want to just give us a, a little a lick of the electro spit, so to speak?
4: The electro spit sounds like this, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, and you can play chords oh, yeah
1: okay I want one of those um uh I bet you they cost a lot of money but so I'm and and as well as long as we're introducing the musical instruments uh, uh we've got a clip here this will be B1 Katie uh let's hear a little bit of Keith's the Glad. <laughs> Right, So Johnny Greenwood is going to want one of those if he doesn't already have one. Um, <laughs> so, so um, yeah, I want to ask both of you a little bit about this. Bosco, maybe get us going. I mean, I don't know. What Can you describe the sort of the, the incandescent kernel that lit up inside you that, that made you think, oh, wait a minute. I've got an idea. I've got an idea for a brand new musical instrument
4: absolutely so um i had a, a a long career playing talk box and talk box is this instrument where uh, the sound goes through a tube and into an amp and uh, into your mouth and it's a uh, it's a great sounding instrument but it's very difficult to play and it's not mobile and i had an opportunity to perform with kanye west live and i had to lip sync on the american music awards and it made me think how could i take this and make it mobile Um, So I I got inspired to uh, make a new version that would be um, that wouldn't require the tube that could work with your mobile phone and that could be portable. And um, I came up with this uh, with the electrospit and uh, I went through this incubator called Zoo Labs and um, and uh, and uh, went through a Kickstarter and. Just Blaze uh, got excited about it, and David Guetta got excited about it. Teddy Riley, all of these um, uh, major musicians, and our Kickstarter went really big, and and then we started manufacturing. And um, I won the uh, Guthman Award, uh, and so it just it's just been going on and on and on. And people are um, really excited about this uh, this instrument. It's uh it's now gone from this concept where uh, originally it was like. Um, our first event where we um, uh, showed the instrument to some customers or potential customers to get some feedback, we just had a speaker and we tied a a sock around our necks. And it was like a Christmas sock. And we've gone from the Christmas sock with the speaker around the neck to Stevie Wonder just used it on the 50th anniversary theme song for Sesame Street. Woo! Uh, (laughs) <laughs> and of course, the design is much different <laughs> than the original design with the with the speaker and the sock. And it took you know lots of uh, hard work and uh, and different uh, iterations. And we, we patented new technology. But that journey was just an incredible journey to go uh, from having this idea to to something that's played by my musical idol. And 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 actually, last year was on the song called Levitating, which was the biggest song of oh, the yeah. year. Yeah,
1: I love levitating. I thought it should be the song of the summer, but it wasn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, and I assume electro spit that refers to like spitting rhymes as opposed to what I used to drain out of the bottom of my, of my trumpet.
4: That's right. That's right. Exactly. Yes, spitting rhymes. So it's the, it's the idea that your ideas become reality. So you're electrifying your words and turning your ideas into reality, and that's exactly what happened with the instrument. Is we had this idea for for a new instrument and and now it's real and it's been an incredible journey.
1: How can you, for a, a layman, just describe how it works? Like, how does it do what it does?
4: Absolutely. So, um, we have an app and the the app creates a synthesizer sound. It sounds like this. Um, That sound goes through an audio cable and into the electrospit uh, device, which looks like a set of headphones. But instead of the sound going into your ears, it goes into your neck and then out of your mouth. And then you can turn those tones into words. So I can turn a tone Uh, into a word electrospit. (laughs) and uh it's super fun you can play melodies you can also connect it to a guitar or uh, any keyboard if you're not going to use our app Uh, our app just gives you the ability to do like um polyphonic uh, polyphonic sound chords and um and and it's a, a different interface that's really easy to play and mobile and i'm definitely you know solving my own problem in in I was solving my own problem in creating this uh, instrument because uh, of all the difficulties I I faced playing the talk box and then trying to figure out a whole new way to uh, interact with, with an app and play music. Um,
1: All right. I, I do have to say, as I said before, I want one of these really bad. I also should say the person who lives in the house with me would give anything to make sure I never got one. Um, So, I mean, her, her life, her quality of life I think would deteriorate quickly. Um, So, um, you never know. You never know. Um, so, uh, Keith, tell us about the Glide. First of all, I you know, it's radio, so we can't show people the Glide. So what are we looking at if we're looking?
2: Hello. Um, yeah, it's two hand controllers. Um, a lot of people say it kind of looks like, you know, two Wii controllers or something like that. But I try to stay away from that analogy. Um, but it's, you know, one controller has three buttons and a joystick. The other controller has two buttons. You, you use one hand. To select a note, the other hand to select the octave, and then once you've selected the note, you do kind of like a hitting motion, kind of like a like a knocking on a door. Um, I tell people it's kind of like a it's like a really fancy like handbell or something <laughs> where it's like a, the modern handbell where you can actually you know hold notes, and then once you play a note, you can choose another note and then glide to that note. So you know kind of you know kind of like a trombone does, kind of like a violin does. My goal was to make something that was Really expressive, but also somewhat easy to play because in the world of musical instruments, the more expressive an instrument is a lot of time, the more difficult it is. So kind of like what you're saying with the theremin and what Jason was saying, like you can make noise with a theremin immediately, but it's really hard to actually play it. So I was trying to get something that was accessible just on every level where it was like financially successful or accessible where it was very cheap um, and then like physically accessible. Like it's, hold, it's easy to hold, easy to play and then technically accessible where you can actually, you know, try to play a note and it's easy to play that note.
1: So do you, can you – I'll ask you the same question I asked Bosco. Do you sort of – can you describe your eureka moment or like the, what you were thinking or feeling when this came to you?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've always kind of tinkered with various musical inventions. Um, but I'm a, I'm a guitarist also, and I've actually taught guitar for a long, long time. And what I noticed is that, um, Whenever you have a guitarist, whenever you, someone who's never played the guitar, whenever they actually start playing, like you really realize how awkward the instrument is to hold and play. (laughs) Like your left hand has to be cranked, you know, way under your right arm has to be cranked over the top of it. You have to make this very strange motion. And the reason why you have to do that is because the guitar is based around a string that's at tension. And in order for a string to be at tension, it has to be straight. So it would be a lot nicer if you, if your left hand, if you could just kind of rotate it to a more natural position, your right arm, you could rotate it to a more natural position and then play a note that way. So it it got me really thinking about how all acoustic instruments are really physics based and they kind of just tweak it until it's somewhat playable like what if we went the other way where we took modern technology and made an instrument that is really like human centric that is really designed to be played by a human being first and foremost and then we we figure out how to make the electronics do what we wanted what we wanted to do um it really just it changed the whole process of like what what a musical instrument really should look like and how you should play it
1: I I, uh, I would like to ask both of you about, uh, but Keith, I'll stay with you for a second here. In a way, Bosco's already answered this question, but I mean, another part of this is, as I said there at the beginning of the show, there's sort of an ecosystem, right? You're going to need, and one of the you're going to need people who get excited about it, and maybe go on YouTube and show off or just show themselves playing the glide or whatever. And I, but I assume also music is something that people make together. Uh, when mm-hmm. there's no pandemic. Uh, and so could you talk a little bit about that, Keith? I mean, ultimately, you want this to be something that I don't know, people in a band would do or you'd work with Bosco or something uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. on, on, on a collaboration.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, music is, it's almost by definition collaborative, like, you know, unless you're playing a solo piano or something like that, or doing like the, you know, guitar and a harmonica kind of thing, like it's almost always involving more than one person. And even if you're a solo instrumentalist or a solo musician, like you're playing music that was made by other people, or you're using chords that were invented by other people. It's this it's, it's very similar to language. And language is a conversation and music is too. So with my instrument, you know what I was saying about it being financially accessible, especially that was something that was really important to me from a design standpoint, because if you make the world's greatest instrument and the instrument costs $10,000, you might have a few people buy it who are your kind of rich eccentrics, you know, who will just play around with it, but you're not going to have little kids buy it. You're not going to have little kids be able to play it. Um, in order to make something that really gets, um, that really gets its teeth into the culture, it has to be like friendly to kids. It has to be friendly to people who are not like super athletes, you know, um, most instruments you have to have 10 fully functional fingers, you know, Um, But my instrument was designed so that you know, even if you don't have you know all of your fingers perfectly functional, you can still play it pretty easily.
1: So, Bosco, for you, I don't know. The collaboration question also is: Look at Stevie Wonder's using it. Mm. If I were you, I'd be thinking, "Okay, I could die now. I made this thing. That's the (laughs) (laughs) coolest thing ever. I I made
4: it. I was sitting in the room with Steven and and thinking that man, it doesn't get better than this."
1: But but tell me just in general aspirationally, I mean, I, there I don't know what it lies beyond Stevie Wonder. Not much, probably. Uh, but <laughs> but I'm aspirationally. How do you see the electro spit being used,
4: either collaboratively or just by new adopters? Yeah, I, th- I think Keith hit on a couple of great points. One is that um, when you're making an electronic instrument you're not bound by physics so if you want the sound to change and get higher when you move to the left that's what happens or if you want pressure to turn into vibrato that can happen and um that's one of the things that I, I really love about um creating electronic instruments and using uh, software you're, is you're not bound by physics and then also the accessibility our our product right now um our, our net, we're doing a, a crowdfunding campaign at the moment with Republic, Republic.com/slash-electrospit, and the goal is to increase our manufacturing volume so we can drive the price down and make it more accessible, uh, and and really get the instrument out there and. If you think everybody has a phone in their pocket, so that's the first part, the, the user interface is right there. And then the other part of a, an instrument is getting sound out into the world. And unfortunately, um, there's been um, kind of a transition from people playing together in groups to people playing separately or creating music alone. And I really want to see more people creating music together. That's how I grew up. Um, it's, it's super fun to be in a band and have that instant, uh, uh, you know, reaction when you play something cool. And mm-hmm. I definitely designed elect- the Electrospit talk box with that in mind. You can play live, you can play together and, uh, A band of electronic instruments with people who are skilled and unskilled playing together is is definitely like a vision of what I see in the future. And um, kind of what I'm looking forward to is that more broad adoption of electronic musical instruments just to get more live music happening in the schools, in, in public, by, again, by people who are and aren't trained.
1: It's it's funny because in the early 1980s I went and viewed the kind of an unveiling of something called the Fairlight computer musical instrument, the Fairlight mm-hmm. CMI, uh, you know, which was kind of revolutionary in its day, and you could kind of sample music and then play it on the keys of the Fairlight and stuff, but I'm sure I'm holding more computing power in my hand right now as I'm holding my iPhone than existed in the Fairlight CMI. Everybody's walking around with more computing power uh, than, than that sort of cutting-edge thing from 40 years ago, so uh, well, listen, uh, first, been yeah, go ahead. It
4: was made, and and, and and a guy like Stevie Wonder was almost the only person who had access to an instrument like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Alright, so Keith Groover, inventor of the Glide. Uh, Bosco Conte uh, is the music producer and inventor uh, of uh, the Electro Spit. I think we're going to go out here with some Electro Spit sound and then we will come back and tell you about some new, some new musical instruments.
2: Thank you, Colin.
4: Thank you, Colin. I live for the phone for the phone Come on, baby Just fogging around All right. We're
1: back. A lot of people to thank today, starting with Julia Pastel, freelance producer for us and, of course, arts entrepreneur and all kinds of other things as well. This was her idea, uh, her uh, baby, and she uh, has now seen it born here on the airwaves. Uh, But uh, because she's a freelance producer, a lot of other people had to jump in here. Also, Kat Pastor, not available to be our technical producer. So the big kid. Our boss, Katie Tularski, is running the board for us today uh, in the role of Cat Pastor. Uh, Jonathan McPants uh, was uh, heavily involved in pulling all the musical clips that you're hearing here and getting them all ready for air, which is trickier and harder to do than even you might think. Lily Tyson, our senior producer, was doing senior producer things uh, and... uh, um, and organizing us, I guess that's what senior producers do, right? They organize us. Uh, and former senior producer Betsy Kaplan is cheering us on right now. Senior producer Emeritus Betsy Kaplan. So I probably left somebody out, but a lot of people is what I'm trying to say. Okay, so back with us, Jason Freeman, professor of music at Georgia Tech, uh, and who lead and he leads the Guthman Musical um, Instrument Competition. This is the competition where they do try to come up with these new devices. Uh, and Kyle Grimm is also here with us, professor at the, uh, of music at the University of Hartford and a composer who works in both uh, acoustic and electronic media. Um, all right, so we're going to begin. Maybe first of all, Jason, where are we in the kind of agricultural cycle of the Guthman Musical uh, Instrument Competition? Are are people are? You're, I assume you're you're having the annual competition. What's going on yes, with it right now? Yes. Um,
0: so we invite uh, inventors from all around the world to submit their new instruments every year, and that happens in September. Uh, we named about 25 semifinalists in December, and we have just this past week announced 10 finalists. And those 10 finalists we were inviting to come to the Georgia Tech campus uh, in the middle of March for a couple of days, uh, where they will be meeting with our jury, uh, showing their instruments, talking through them, um, you know, answering questions and so on. And then that will culminate in a big concert on our campus where they will perform with the instruments and will announce the winners of the competition after that.
1: All right. So I think what we have here are finalists uh, here that we're going to listen to. Uh, and uh, we're going to start with something called the Aristid. Do you want to say anything about this before we go, Jason,
0: before we run it? Sure. Um, yeah, I think I think before we talked about the yeah, Aristid is so interesting to me because it's it's so totally different than any other musical instrument that we've talked about today. It really draws its inspiration from plants, Um and particularly the structures of plants, the way that the that branches branch out in in, in, in plants and the different levels of complexity, uh, kind of the fractal-like complexity that arises from that. And so this is an interface that you, it has a grid of of, uh, touch sensors on it that are arranged in a semicircle. And you touch these, and then there's a few knobs that you control as well to generate all these different uh, musical structures and and pitch and harmonic structures that are based on this inspiration uh, from plants. And and the video that this uh, person submitted to us is, is so beautiful Uh, I know you can't see this on the radio, but it it has him performing this in the middle of some kind of botanical garden, surrounded by trees and plants of all different kinds. then you hear this music, it almost sounds like it's coming out of, you said agriculture before, it almost sounds like it's coming right out of the garden. Uh, So it's it's a really beautiful kind of combination of of linking that inspiration to the, the sonic result and this very unusual interface for creating the sound.
1: All right, so let's hear uh, a few uh, seconds anyway of the Aristid or Aristid, perhaps, uh, and then maybe Kyle can give us some kind of Simon Cowell type reactions to it. Uh, All right, here we go. All right, so I don't know, Kyle. I'm guessing you have never heard an Aristed before, so uh, give us a reaction.
3: Yeah, I had not heard it before, but um, it it's very cool. As a, somebody who does a lot of stuff with experimental music, it's it's always fun to hear different tuning systems and be able to hear all these different microtones and that sort of stuff like that. Um, the interface is very cool for it; that it it's it looks like a fractal of a tree as well. Um, I like the idea that it it offers so much for uh just experimentation of changing a parameter and then seeing what seeing what you end up with and then just experimenting and, and trying things out and then seeing what the result is and playing around with it because you know that's what as composers we do all the time is just see what happens if we do this. So this it, it lends itself very well to that, which is nice.
1: Um and and Jason, maybe one detail that we didn't mention beforehand. My understanding is that the sort of I don't know, the the, the kinetics of this are designed to work, uh, especially for somewhat smaller hands, uh, women's hands in particular? Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. So it was designed very much with the idea um, of of how you could reach all these different things. to be able to play uh, a bunch of the different keys at the same time this is something i'm painfully aware of myself just in my personal life because i give lessons uh, in piano to my nine-year-old son and we keep on getting to a repertoire that he can't play because he can't reach a seventh or he can't reach an octave um, to play certain things um so uh it's really nice to see that kind of uh, uh, thinking go into an instrument like this
1: all right. And the next thing we're going to hear is something called the Glissitar. This will be uh, C2, Katie Talersky. Uh Let's just play. we got 17 seconds. We'll play it, and then Jason, uh, tell a little bit about it, and Kyle can chime in. <laughs> All right, so that sounds, Jason, like it was made here on Earth uh, compared to a lot of the stuff that we've listened to today.
0: Well, and what's interesting, I think this is the first instrument we've talked about today since the saxophone that is an entirely acoustic instrument. So um, there's no electronics uh, or circuits or anything involved in, in, in that sound that you just heard, but it ties in so nicely to so many of the other themes we've been talking about in this hour. Um, it, is, it looks like a soprano saxophone uh, or a clarinet, Uh, And it actually uses a saxophone mouthpiece to play it. Uh, but instead of keys, like we would be used to, it has a continuous ribbon. So you can play uh, uh, glissandi. Uh, you, know, you can you can you can play continuous pitch the same way you might on a theremin or an on Martineau or on the glide or even on a uh, uh, spit. The way that you can glide so uh, kind of effortlessly from pitch to pitch is that the key idea here, while leveraging the technique that uh, saxophonists might already have in terms of their embouchure and how they play the instrument, how they get the timbre out of it. So we get that um, that kind of rich that kind of um, talking like sound that we were talking about that can come out of a saxophone uh, but we get this ability to to play uh, microtones to do slides and glides and pitch and all these other things that are much harder to do on a traditional uh, saxophone
1: all right uh and kyle give us just a quick reaction
3: yeah i also like i enjoy that it has the full range and that it um it allows the performer to play all these microtones and play a, a whole range and jump around very. what w- would seem very easily compared to maybe some other instruments. And uh, it, it allows the expressiveness to be sort of unbridled, uh, which can be very hard to tame, but it can also be very rewarding.
1: All right. So I think, uh, Katie, we're jumping to C4 here. I believe this is something called the Air Glow. Uh, and, um, yeah, Jason, you want to quickly just set this up? We're running out of time a little bit, so, so be...
0: Yeah, so the, the Air Glow is inspired by two different instruments. One is the air guitar, and the other is actually probably not an instrument at all, but is a lightsaber, like in Star Wars. And so um, it lights up. It has sensors. You move it around, um, and it senses how you're, how you're moving it, how you're twisting it, how you're touching it and gliding across it um, to make all these sounds um, but it looks kind of like a lightsaber when you play it, but it also has a technique kind of similar to how you would interact with it in air guitar. So it's super low floor. Anyone can make music with it really quick. Main point of it is to be used in STEM education for kids. Well, that's so cool. All right, let's hear what that sounds like.
1: That is very cool. So um, I guess, you know, just to sort of end where we began, um, uh, Kyle, a point that Jason made at the beginning is that uh, you can just invent a lot more stuff these days, right? I mean, you can you can customize things. You can, you can take something that exists and, and kind of hack it in different ways. And I, Kyle, I would assume that kind of changes the game a lot from where Adolf Sachs was beginning.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, like one thing I was noticing with going through some of these these finalists and seeing what's out there and all that sort of stuff is that there's a huge focus on the software side of of making music, right? So, um, as Jason said, the the Glissitar is the only one that's all acoustic. Everything else has some sort of software element to it, um, and so then it's how how are you interacting with the software and is it intuitive and does it you know does it create Uh, a technique that can then be sort of mastered and you can create more interesting and more uh, masterful performances with it. Um, With the air glow, it'll be really interesting to see like who takes that and then decides to do take all of the sensors and everything that are in it and just play around with some, some other thing completely and make very, strange experimental music from, you know, what was a, a STEM instrument for kids. which just a funny little parallel, I think.
1: Um, hey, Jason, just really quickly, if there's somebody listening out there who's, who's thinking, oh, I'm very close to a breakthrough with my clarinetosphere, um, how do they find
0: you guys? How do they get into the Guthman competition? So we have a website for the competition, guthman.gatech.edu. We have information, videos, and all of this year's finalists up there, as well as our semi-finalists. And uh, when the summer rolls around and we release our call for submissions for the 2023 competition, uh, all the information will be up there. It's free and very easy for uh, anyone to submit. And we uh, love to see all kinds of different things from, uh, from people of all different backgrounds and interests and all different kinds of motivations for, that are driving them to make their instruments.
1: All right. What a fun show. Thanks to all our terrific guests. Thanks to Julia uh, for leading us here and to everybody else who helped. Now, let's end with a little bit of Radiohead. I think you're going to hear a little bit of And Martineau here from National Anthem Live in France.